It's an absolute privilege to stand up here, and I say that um, every time someone is crazy enough to rost me on. Um, but it really is a privilege to stand in front of a group of people in a free country and not have to worry um, that we're doing something wrong or that we're going to be persecuted. So this is huge. It's an honour to be here, and I count it as nothing less. Um, I would like to acknowledge that I'm wearing no shoes. I'm well aware that I'm wearing no shoes. Um, When I was asked to preach a few months ago, actually at the beginning of the year, um, God said really clearly to me, will you preach with no shoes on? And I was like, "Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm. Why? And he was silent. I went, good, this is good, brilliant. I'm like, yeah, I can do that. At both campuses, if I preach, yes, both. Excellent. That's good because, you know, a lot of the Liverpool people don't know me well and you guys know I'm weird, so it's okay. But they don't. That's their first impression of the chick up the front with no shoes on. Um, and I kept asking God occasionally, why the no shoes and still silence? I was like, fine. Okay, what? Well, I don't need to know. I can be obedient without, you know, having to know the why. <laughs> um, And during this time, God was speaking to me a lot about um, what it means to be his church and what it means to be his bride. The Bible says that um, the church is the bride of Christ. And I wanted to know what that looks like. And I was reading this book called Interrupted by Jen Hatmaker. And I come to this part where she talks about um, God completely wrecking her and her husband in this church service. And um, they end up donating their brand new shoes that they've, you know, saved up and bought for each other. Melody's like, what? (laughs) Donated shoes? I can give money, but not the shoes. Dave's like, oh, oh, goodness. I love it. Let's keep it real. Um, And... And they walk out into the snow barefoot and she had this epiphany of what it meant to be uh, the barefoot bride, meaning the bride that will do anything and give anything. And, um, and so I stand before you not as someone who has it all together but as someone who, who wants to try and wants to be part of the barefoot bride that will go anywhere and do anything. And I guess that ties into my sermon today. I want to speak to you um, about Moses. I've called this... Uh, sermon, Imposter Syndrome, Moses Style. And most of you would know um, the Moses story, but if you don't, I would like to play a really quick video. It is a children's cartoon. I'm not trying to be patronising or condescending. It is just that it is cute and succinct, which is two things I don't do overly well. So, you know, and um, we're going through uh, the, you know, quite a few chapters of Exodus, so I'm not going to read from it either. I'm just going to prompt you, but um, if you would like to know where this is from, it starts off in Exodus 1, and I would really encourage you to read the story because um, the providence that is on Moses and the hand of God and getting an idea that God is a good, good God and a good father um, just really jumps out at you. But yeah, if we could play this video, that would be fantastic. Thank you. God's story, Moses. So part of God's story is about a guy named Moses, and it begins like this. When Moses was born, God's special family, the Israelites, were living in Egypt as slaves. But there were so many Israelites that Pharaoh, Egypt's ruler, was afraid they might attack him. So he ordered that they work extra hard and made a law that all new baby boys had to be killed. Well, baby Moses' mom didn't want him to die, so she came up with a plan. 
She put him in a waterproof basket and hid it in the Nile River. Before long, Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, showed up. She found the basket and realized Moses was one of the babies her dad was trying to kill. But instead of hurting Moses, she adopted him. He grew up in the palace like a prince. Now Moses should have felt... Okay, so that's kind of where we're going to leave it. Um, And I'm going to ask you to come on a little bit of a journey with me this morning um, and to use your imagination. I'm an absolute lover of psychology. I am obsessed with the why, hence the why no shoes. Um, I want to know what's going on. I feel like if I know what's happening behind your words, then I can get to what's happening in your heart and then um, I can partner with you and we we can talk and we can work things out. Jordan is a huge fan of this. For Christmas, we were given... <laughs> for Christmas, we were given um, a board game. And it's called the Ungame Game. And it is not so much a game in that there's no winners and there's no losers. It's just a game where we, um, we get to talk about our feelings. <laughs> and we get to... Well, you would think it would be woohoo. But afterwards, I said to him, like... How good is this? I feel so connected to you. And he's like, mate, I need space. Just (laughs) like, I need, whoa. Anyway, so our kids were away this week, our older children. They were away at Drastic. And um, I said, Jordan, can we please play the ungame game? Can we please? And I saw him die a little bit (laughs) inside. But, you know, marriage is a compromise. And... um, I wanted to play. And so we sat down and we played this game and uh, one <laughs> tedious, long process. And one of the questions um, that I got was, if there was one law that you could, could create and someone had to follow it, what would it be? And I sat there, Jordan's thinking, just hurry up and answer the question so we can get this over with. Um, and it would be that we all just stop and take the time to step into each other's shoes. That we, that we look for what's going on behind and we look for people's motives because sometimes what's happening here isn't actually what's underneath the surface. And I'd like to talk about that in regards to Moses. So we hear that um, Moses was living in a time where he was... Um, the Israelite people were in slavery and the Pharaoh ordered that all the male children be killed and Moses was spared and he grew up like a prince. We also hear later on as we read along in Exodus, that um, Moses, he obviously knew of his heritage um, and he went out one day and saw one of his Israelite relatives being beaten and he killed the Egyptian guard. This rage just welled up within him and he killed this guard and then fled Egypt. Um, And I used to read that and think that that just came from a place of compassion, that he was so angry with righteous anger that he killed killed in the heat of the moment. But I actually, as I pondered this, and I believe this is a message from God, as I pondered this, I started to think what else might have been going on for Moses in that time. I'm not sure if um, you guys are familiar with, um, am I turned on? Yes. With um, survivor guilt. So survivor guilt is a mental condition that occurs when a person believes that they have done something wrong by surviving a traumatic event when others did not. It may be found among survivors of murder, terrorism, combat, natural disasters, epidemics, and among the friends and family of those who have died by suicide. 
I believe that Moses was suffering survivor guilt. I believe that he had been taken into this palace, brought up in a life of privilege, and would watch his people being tortured, and that there was a part of him that was confused and angry, and there was this internal angst of, why? Why was I saved? What was going on? Why, why me, and what's my purpose, and how am I supposed to, supposed to live this? I feel like um, Moses probably didn't really fit anywhere. I feel like his people, um, they may have resented him. They may have resented the privilege that he had stepped into when their own children had been murdered. And the people in the palace may have felt like he just didn't belong there. Like, what is this guy doing here? He is an Israelite. He doesn't belong here. He should be out with the slaves. I can imagine that in the, in the palace, Moses probably also felt like an imposter. There is a mindset known particularly in the business and coaching world as imposter syndrome. Can you see my love of psychology coming out? Uh, some of the most capable, intelligent, hardworking people you know might be suffering from a debilita- debilitating phenomenon a distortion of thinking that makes them believe they're actually incompetent, unintelligent and lazy. They're convinced they're faking their way through their accomplishments and one day they'll be found out, exposed as the frauds they believe themselves to be. I can remember as a 19-year-old lying in a hospital bed holding this gigantic child that I had just given birth to. He was nearly five kilos. This child was huge. I was single. I was alone. And suddenly, every doctor, every nurse, every hospital staff member left, and I was completely alone. They had gone to watch the Melbourne Cup, and I will forever despise the Melbourne Cup (laughs) because I was left with this child going... Hello? Anyone? While I'm listening to cheering and roaring at the nurse's station, I'm like, okay, well, this is good. Uh, mm -hmm." And I have never in my life felt so much like an imposter than in that moment. I kept thinking, they have made a terrible, terrible mistake. Any second they're going to realise that I'm not a mum, I'm just a scared girl pretending that I've got it all together. I'm pretty sure they saw through that, but, you know, that's okay. In my mind, you know, I was pretending and doing it well. Um, And, yes, I was just freaked out. I was freaked out that people were going to find out that I was a fraud. And after having two more children and 17 years later, I can say I still feel exactly the same way. I still feel like I am faking it. A lot of times, I do not feel like the parent. I was walking with my 15-year-old daughter and my 10-year-old daughter through the shopping centre recently, and I was approached by someone who said, we'd like to offer you a better home loan deal. And I looked at the next tallest person next to me, who is my daughter, and kind of was like, well, answer. And she she looks at me like, you're the parent? Like, I'm like, right, yes. I'm the pe- no, thank you, I'm okay, thank you, uh, and walked along. And she's like, what was that? I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know. Like, 
you couldn't handle that? She's like, no, no, I couldn't. Um, and I have to constantly remind myself, I'm the parent. I got this. I've got this under control because I feel like a fraud so often. And without Jesus guiding me, I am. I am. We're just kind of, you know, rolling through this together. But I have to remember to choose to take every thought captive. We have been... I can't believe the songs that were picked this morning. This is amazing. There was no interaction between Kath and I. She had no idea what I was speaking on. But every single thing we sang is about identity. And it is about declaring that I am a child of God. And that's what I want to speak to you about today. About that you are a child of God. And the importance of believing that and declaring that. And not letting anything stand in the way of that. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 in the NIV version says... For we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. How often is the battle your thoughts? Much like, right? Much like I believe Moses' battle was. The message version of this, just an excerpt of it, says, We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of a life shaped by Christ. And Moses, in that moment, in that moment of passion and anger, that impulse was driven by something in here instead of a belief of who he was and a knowledge of who he could be. I think for me, in my journey, I have had to constantly declare and come against the thoughts that you're just a nobody, like a teenage mom, a single mom, married now, but, you know, recovering drug addict, recovering drug addict, like these thoughts just constantly would plague me for years and years and years, like who do you think you are? And I had to acknowledge that though these things had shaped me, they were no longer going to define me. I was not going to live by this stuff anymore and let it dictate my future actions Because I couldn't. There were people waiting for me. My children were waiting for me. My family was waiting for me. I was waiting for me. And my community was waiting for me to realise and to start declaring that I am a new creation, that I am a child of God, and that I'm co-heir with Christ, which makes me the daughter of a king. And then I had to act like it. (laughs) You see, feeling like an imposter doesn't just affect us. It's not just about us. I like to think most things are just about me. I'm selfish (laughs) like that. But I had to realise this isn't just about me. God had a plan to lead the Israelite people out of Egypt. And we know that that happened. Moses ran away. He went into the wilderness. He had a massive God encounter And he was brought back, but there were years of training that he had to go through and refinement. And and he came back and he eventually, through this huge long process, brought the Israelite people out of bondage and slavery. 
But what if that was actually God's plan B? We see that while he was in the wilderness, the plans changed, stuff happened, the Israelites messed up and God had to extend their time there. It was never supposed to be as long as it was. So what if they were never actually supposed to be in the wilderness to begin with? We can't know that. I'm just asking you to use your imagination. But what if plan A was that God had placed Moses in the palace to enact change from the inside? What if the plan was to use his position of influence to make change and move things and shift things? We can't possibly know that. We, we, we don't know and we know that God works everything together for good. But I wonder if Moses missed that because he was too weighed down by these feelings of guilt and inadequacy and feeling like an imposter and a fraud. There's nothing wrong with these feelings. They're natural human emotions. God has created us mind, body, spirit, so it's okay that we feel this stuff. But Jesus wants us to be free from it. He doesn't want us defined by it anymore because he's called us to be his hands and his feet. Tim got up and he said, we were Jesus' hands and feet in that village. Like in that place, they were the ones that God had called to do what he wanted to do. There is an author I follow on It's Not You. Um, And I don't have the slide. That's okay. There is an author um, that I follow on Instagram. And he was reading through Luke chapter 8. And he was talking about um, how Jesus had called, called for this donkey in this random village. And he said, I have need of it. Just tell them, he, he preempted, I have need of it, that they would ask this question. And um, I think God, and, and he had this simple reply to say, Jesus has need of it. And I think God has called us these flawed, broken people, and we have the world watching us going, why you? Like, of all people, why has God called you? Because he has need of us, not in that he can't do the job without us, but because he's waiting for us to realise who we are, to bring others into relationship with him. And this post that I wanted to read, it just explains it so much more beautifully, but um, I apparently am disorganised. As we near the end, I want to share a few stories with you. Um, about what happens when we remember who God is and who we are and then what happens when we don't. As most of you would know by now, I do prayer ministry. That is a ministry where um, we pray with people and we deal with the spiritual stuff going on in their lives and the emotional stuff and maybe um, trauma or stuff that's holding them back. And it's an absolute privilege every single time I step into that prayer room. It is incredible to see... Jesus meet people right where they are in that moment. And so a couple of years ago, I was contacted by a woman outside of the church and she was wanting prayer. And um, in the lead up to the session, I had been praying and I kept getting the word prostitution, prostitution. I was like, okay, I don't know what to do with that. That's all right. And so when she arrived, I knew nothing about her. When she arrived, she said that... um, 
she was indeed a sex worker and that she was also a drug addict and that at that very moment she was high on drugs but wanted to be free on it. And so she had come to the session thinking like maybe that was her last chance to get high so she had loaded up. And she came to us and she was shaking. She made no eye contact at all with us and she was, she was a mess. And everything in that moment, every single part of our training had said, don't touch this. This is too big for who you are. You don't have the experience for this. And it's actually dangerous to pray with someone under the influence of drugs because of the risk of um, demonic interference. And so we were like, okay. But Carrie and I, my prayer ministry partner, we decided we knew who God was that day. And we decided we knew who we were and we knew that God had a plan for this woman's life and she was there for a reason and she was calling out for Jesus. And so we prayed with her and she had had a history of trauma. She had been raped by her father, by her brother. She had this horrible traumatic history and Carrie and I were just able to speak life into her and tell her things that she had never heard from anyone ever before that she's beautiful and that she's loved and that God sees her as precious and pure and he doesn't see the crap, he sees her heart. And by the end of it, this woman was looking us in the eye. There was no shaking, there were no tremors, there were no external signs going on that she was uncomfortable or even under the influence of the drugs anymore. And it was so powerful because we could have chosen to let fear rule that room, to declare that Satan had some kind of authority there. But we chose that Jesus actually was in charge and he was going to have his way. And he did. And I have not been in contact with that woman again. I don't know her story. I don't know if she returned to sex work, how she's going with her addiction, But in that moment, she encountered God, and that changes lives. And so I stand here really flawed, and I'm not telling you that story to make you go, look how amazing we are, that I know who I am. I so don't, which is why I'll share this next story with you. Um, There are moments that I miss it completely. I was lying in bed the other night, and my romantic, amazing husband turns to me, and he's like, you're a train wreck. I'm like, yes. (laughs) Yep. I am. Today I'm a train wreck. Thank you for pointing that out, baby. And then he kissed me and, you know, all is well in the world because I'm a train wreck, but I'm here and I'm showing up and I'm choosing to believe what God has. But I don't always get it right and I miss the mark. And again, walking through the shops a few weeks ago, I encountered this woman. She was in a wheelchair. She was being pushed by her carer. And I saw a tear in her eye. And I was like, oh, I felt that, that God pull. And I had things to do. I had to get to my car. I had stuff to do. And I'm walking and I'm like, okay, fine, God. All right, I get it. If I go back and her care is not there and there's an opportunity to speak to her and if everything lines up perfectly, I will do it. And I did what I had to do and then I saw her alone. And another tear I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. And I walk straight past her. I'm like, oh, I can't. 
I can't do it. I can't. What if she doesn't want to talk to me? Who the heck do I think I am? This random woman walking up to someone in a shopping centre. And I went and picked up my kids and I didn't do what I know God was asking me to do. And I've had to live with that and there's grace for it and God absolutely forgives and he will absolutely provide another opportunity for that woman. But I still have to live with the fact that I missed the mark. And in that moment, I chose to be disobedient and I chose not to be a barefoot bride. I chose not to lay my pride down. And I think it was probably this experience that was ringing in my ears two weeks ago when um, I went to a friend's wedding. This amazing wedding. It was a mad Hatter's Tea Party-themed wedding. There were, it was held at the Hunty Valley Gardens and it just so happened that at the time there was a dinosaur display. So there are these huge, life-size, mechanical dinosaurs. It was like just the weirdest, most wonderful wedding I've ever been to. And yes, during the bridal waltz, there is a dinosaur in the background. Like, I'm trying, you know, like. Um, And so I'm having a great time with my friends and really enjoying being in the Hunter Valley. I had never been there before. And just like, this is amazing. When I got that pull again in my heart and I see a woman ages across from me over the other side of um, where people were dancing and she was alone and looking really lost and I said to Jordan I've got to go do a thing he's like it's okay knowing that this meant we'd be like three hours now and I wasn't coming back and um, I'm walking over to this woman I'm like God what do you want me to say Silence. Thank you. This is getting old, God. This is... I'm getting a bit sick of this, but that's okay. I'm going to be obedient this time. And I'm walking over and I have these thoughts. You look really fat in what you're wearing. I am fat. That's okay. Like, but is that the best you can do, head? Great. What are you going to say? You don't even know what you're going to say. Like, as if she wants to hear from you. You're so weird. Yep, I know I'm weird. Thank you. There's also dinosaurs around, so, (laughs) you know, it's the environment for it. And I walk up and um, I say to this woman, hi, I'm Beck," And she's like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. And I said, I know this sounds really weird, but I saw you from over there. And she's like, really? I didn't notice you at all. I'm like, thank you. looked kind of cute (laughs) but okay um and I said I feel like there's a part of you that's super happy and celebrating here but there's a part of you that's really sad and broken and you have this dual thing going on inside you and I want you to know that um I see you and you're not alone And she just looks at me in absolute shock and she said, it all just came out. My partner just broke up with me three days ago. They were supposed to be here. This is so very much a couple's wedding and I'm alone and everyone is paired up and I have nobody here. I feel like I am breaking inside but I am so happy that my friend is getting married. The conversation continues and she shares how she feels like God doesn't care about her. 
And because, well, she asked me firstly, why did you come to me? Is that women's intuition? I said, no, actually, it was a God thing. God highlighted you to me. And as I, I walked over, he started and sat down. He told me, you know, what you were feeling. She's like, wow, that's so weird because I feel like God's forgotten about me. He needs to prove himself before I can trust him. And we had this huge, deep conversation that flowed in the most weird environment. And... And stuff happened and I've been able to connect with her on Facebook and we've continued our conversation and it's been really cool. And I don't know where it's going, but um, I know that God has a plan for her. And I know that in that moment, I had something that she needed. I had Jesus, but I had to remember it. I want to leave you with three questions. Do you have a form of survivor's guilt or feel like you aren't worthy to be saved by Jesus? I know this is a really sensitive topic. I know there are some of you that have experienced loss and grief and this would be stirring stuff for you and so I don't bring it up lightly at all. I want to acknowledge that. I would also like to ask, can you ask yourself, do you ever feel like an imposter? Are there areas of your life where you feel like a giant fraud, ungifted, unintelligent, ill-equipped? And if so, how is it affecting you? Is it stopping you from speaking out or living in a way that brings freedom to others? Because I don't believe that this is a quick fix. There's a reason that God calls us to renew our minds daily. But can you imagine a church that wakes up to what God is calling us to do? Can you imagine a people who move past our insecurities, our feelings of inferiority, because we're children of the King, the King, the one and only King. We are co-heirs with Christ, called to bring heaven to earth. And there are people waiting for us. They are in shopping centres. They are at weddings. They are the people you work with, the people you go to school with, the people you are at uni with. They are waiting and they're not as freaked out by the God thing as we think they are because they desperately need it and there's something in their heart that is already crying out and waiting for us to speak up. But we, we can't be weighed down by this crap anymore. We can't let our past define us. We have to dictate who we're going to be. We're going to sing another song and enter into worship. And I would so love to pray with you afterwards if something in this message has stirred you. The prayer team will be up the front. And I really encourage you not to go home without responding to that tug on your heart if you're starting to feel it, because it's not worth it. Trust me, it's not worth going home and regretting what you should have done in that moment. Thank you so much for listening.